0: Hey everybody, I'm Pastor Matt, and I'll be continuing our series today called Bible Stories, and we're going to be reading one of our family's favorite stories, David and Goliath. It comes from 1 Samuel 17, and if you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me. It says that the Philistines gathered for battle at Sukkot, a town in Judah. They camped at a place called Ephes between Sukkot and Azekah. Saul, who was the king of Israel, and the Israelites, they assembled and camped in Elah Valley, where they got ready to fight the Philistines. The Philistines lined up on One hill, and the Israelites lined up on the other hill with the valley in between. Now a man named Goliath from the city of Gath came out from the Philistine camp to challenge the Israelites. He was over nine feet tall and wore bronze armor that weighed 125 pounds and a bronze helmet. His legs were also protected by bronze armor, and he carried a bronze javelin slung over his shoulder. His spear was as thick as a bar of a weaver's loom, and its iron head the tip of the spear, weighed 15 pounds. A soldier walked in front of him carrying a shield. Now Goliath stood and shouted to the Israelites, What are you doing there? Lined up for battle. I am a Philistine, you slaves of Saul. Choose one of your men to fight me. If he wins and kills me, we will be your slaves. And if I win and kill him, you will be our slaves. Here and now I challenge the Israelite army. I dare you to pick someone to fight me. When Saul and his men heard this, they were terrified. Now, Goliath does this for 40 days, taunting the Israelites. Now, there were soldiers in the army who were sons of a man named Jesse. And Jesse had a younger son named David, who was a shepherd. And he would send his son David from time to time to the army to drop off food for his sons and give food to his son's commanders to get reports from how things were going and then bring those back to him. And so one time he sent his son David to the army to to do this, drop off food and get reports. And when David, this boy, this shepherd, got there, he heard Saul cursing Israel. It says that he was talking to soldiers, and Goliath came forward and challenged the Israelites as he had done before. And David heard him. When the Israelites saw Goliath, they ran away in terror. But David was saying, I can kill this guy. Somebody needs to kill this guy. I'll kill this guy. So eventually the king hears about it, and he brings David to his tent. And David says to the king, Saul, Your Majesty, no one should be afraid of this Philistine. I will go and fight him. Saul answers him, how could you fight him? You're just a boy. He's been a soldier all his life. And then David explains, your majesty, I take care of my father's sheep. And anytime a lion or a bear carries off a lamb, I go after it and attack it and I rescue the lamb. And if the lion or bear turns on me, I grab it by the throat and I beat it to death. I have killed lions and bears. And I will do the same to this heathen Philistine who has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord has saved me. From lions and bears, and he will save me from the Philistines. So Saul agrees and he gives David his armor, but Saul's a great big man and David's this little boy, and so he can't wear the armor. So instead, he goes into battle with a sling, a few stones, and a shepherd's staff. And the sling is the smallest of all the Israelite weaponry. He's got no armor on, and he goes to battle against this giant. When he gets there, Goliath says, What's that stick for? Do you think I'm a dog? And he called down curses from God on, uh, from his God on David. Come on, he challenged David, and I'll give your body to the birds and the animals to eat. David answered Goliath, you are coming against me with sword, spear, and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the Israelite armies, which you have defied. This very day, the Lord will put you in my power. I will defeat you and cut off your head. And I will give the bodies of the Philistine soldiers to the birds and animals to eat. Then the whole world will know that Israel has a God. And everyone here will see that the Lord does not need swords or spears to save his people. He is victorious in battle. And he will put all of you in our power. Now you may know the end of the story. David charges at Goliath. He swings the, the sling. He, his rock sinks deep into the skull of the giant. This giant falls down. David takes the sword out, the giant's sword, and cuts off his head. The uh, Philistines are terrified, and they run. The Israelites chase them down and wipe them all out. That day, Israel is delivered through David. It's a great story. Now, there's a lot of things that we can learn from this story, a lot of things to encourage us and instruct us in our faith. Something I want to focus on today is why there was even the... uh, The trouble in Israel. Why are the Israelites having to fight these Philistines in the first place? Why are they invading the land? Now, the answer that we find as we look into the Bible is that hundreds of years earlier, the ancestors of David and Saul and the Israelite armies, some of the earliest generations of the Israelites, they were commanded by God to go into this land and to clear the land of all of the rival gods and all of the wicked people. Now, God is the God and judge of the whole world. He created everyone, he sustains everyone's lives, and he is the one who judges nations. And he has the right to judge nations. And God found these Canaanite nations guilty in his courts of great wickedness and sin. And so he sentenced them to death. And he sent Israel into the land as his instrument to execute that sentence. And so the Israelites were commanded to go in the land and clear the land, to wipe out all of these rival gods, all of the pagan practices, and all of these wicked nations. Some of these nations sacrificed their children in fires to their gods. They were very, very wicked people, and so God was judging them. Now, God told the Israelites that they should clear the land also because he knew that if they didn't, these people would turn the hearts of the Israelites to worship their gods and to practice their wicked ways, and that would bring God's judgment on Israel. They would once again be enslaved, and it would bring pain and suffering uh, upon God's people. God didn't want that. And so God told them to clear the land. And if you back up any, even further in the story, what you find is that God saved this nation, Israel, out of Egyptian slavery, that he adopted them as his son. That's what the Bible calls Israel repeatedly, God's son. And he did this out of his great love and compassion. It wasn't because they were good enough or because they were righteous or because they were perfect or because they were better than other nations. God simply, out of his love, selected them, he saved them, and he adopted them, just like he does for us. And then God gave them, as a good father, his laws to teach them how to live well, how to relate to God and how to relate to one another, and God gave them promises. He said that if you're faithful to me, if you trust and obey me in everything, when I bring you into this land, I am going to bless you beyond what you can imagine or hope. I am going to give you houses you didn't build, vineyards you didn't plant, I'm going to keep pestilence and drought. And bad harvest away from you, your children and your animals will never miscarry, you'll become wealthy, and I'll extend your borders across the entire known world. God promised them that if they were faithful to him in the land, if they never turned away from him to worship other gods, if they didn't practice the wicked ways of their surrounding peoples, that he would give them increase in their nation. That their eastern border would be the Tigris River in modern-day Iraq. That their southern border would be the Nile River going down to Ethiopia in Africa. That their northern border would be the Dardanelles Strait between Europe and Asia. And that the, the western border would be the Mediterranean. They would have a kingdom that stretched across the known world. That was the promise God had for them. That's what God wanted to give them. But it was conditional. They would have to trust and obey him and not turn away to any other gods. And that is why God called them to clear the land. (laughs) And so in the story of Israel, we see something that reflects our own lives as followers of Christ. Israel was God's people in the Old Testament, and we are God's people, the church. And God has adopted us. He saved us, not because of anything in us, but because of his great love. And he gives us his law to teach us how to live in a way that is right. He gives us his promises, just like he gave them to Israel. And he gives us his spirit, his power to want to do it. And one of the first things that you find when you become a Christian, and I found this in my life when I first became a Christian when I was 19, is that very quickly, after God adopts you into his family and and saves you and you begin your relationship with God, you start to see idols and sin and all sorts of things that God wants you to clear out of the land. He wants you to clear out of your lives. Just like he told Israel to clear the land of these rival gods and these rival nations, God calls us to clear the land of sin and idolatry. Now, sin and idolatry, those are two words that you may or may not know. But sin is simply disobeying God's law, disobeying God's word. And as you read the Bible, you become very, uh, quickly you become very aware of what that means. And then idolatry is when you worship or love or give first place to anything over God. It could be money, it could be possessions, it could be positions, it could be a sense of security. It could be something you don't want to give up. And you normally discover idols in your life when God says to to give him something, to do something for him, to rearrange or reorder your life in a certain kind of way, and you don't want to do it. And that's because it threatens idols. It threatens things that you like and you trust in and that you want and that you're hoping for, and you don't want to let those things go because that's really what you're, what you're putting your faith in. That's really what you think is going to take care of you and, and make you happy and, and give you the good life. It's, it's a false god. It's an idol. And we don't see those things at first. But when we start walking with God, very quickly, he shows us the the enemy in the land, so to speak. And so one of the things God wants us to do is clear the land. And if we don't do that, if we don't deal with sin, then it comes back to haunt us in the future. And that's what we see happening in this story with David and Goliath. We see that the failures of the past came back to haunt them in the present. And that's also true for us. Something important to note as we read this story is that one of the nations that these Israelites were commanded to clear out of the land, right, uh, several hundred years before David and Goliath, one of the nations they were commanded to clear out of the land was the Philistines. And they didn't do it. And so the reason why Saul and David and this Israelite army are having to fight the Philistines is because their ancestors didn't. And that's true for us as well. Many of the sins that we struggle with and the idols that are tempting us and calling us to trust them. Many of these have been passed down to us from our families. That's not to dishonor or disparage our parents or our grandparents or the good that God has done in our lives through them. But we all struggle with idolatry. We all struggle with sin. And some of the sin that we struggle with is the same as our parents and grandparents and further back still. I see this in my life, and I'm sure that you can see this in your life. Then there are other sins, sins of compromise that we didn't want to get rid of. Perhaps God brought them to our attention, and we simply gave up trying to put them to death. Or uh, perhaps we just never realized that they were there. And sins in the past that were not cleared out of our lives when we come into relationship with God, well, they come back to bite us. They come back to haunt us. And this is just the way it goes. And you see this in the story of David and Goliath. You see that the Philistines, they invaded Judah right? They invaded Judah. They didn't just stay on the coast. They didn't just mind their own business and live Israel alone. They invaded Judah. The, the failures of the past came back to haunt Israel in the present. And that's exactly how sin is. Sin doesn't stay in its box. It doesn't stay in one place. It's always expanding. Sin is never satisfied. It's always wanting to devour more and more of our lives. And if we don't get rid of it, it will enslave us. Now, if you look at your life and you're considering these things that we're, we're seeing today, if you consider the sin and idolatry in your life that you may have been wrestling with, if you look at your life and you see that you haven't been clearing the land and that you compromised or stopped or left idols that have rivaled God for first place, and if you see sinful patterns, right, God does not want you to be ashamed and feel condemned. If you're a parent like I am and you feel like you're just going to screw up your kids, And that's something a lot of parents feel. Or you may have regrets for things that you've done in the past. Sins you didn't conquer. Land you didn't clear. And now your kids and your grandkids must fight. Again, God doesn't want you to despair or feel condemned. Remember the gospel. God forgives. He forgives completely and fully. If we admit our guilt, admit what we've done wrong, admit our failure, tell him and agree with what his word says, he is faithful to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. And God never forsakes us. He never says, you're just too bad, and now I am kicking you out of the family. I'm not your God anymore. You're no longer my son or daughter. He never forsakes us. He never forsakes our children either. This is the good news of how much God loves us. And so when we look at Israel's story, we see that God didn't say to them, hey, your ancestors messed up. They didn't clear the land. And so now I'm leaving you on your own. No, God raised up David to fight for them. And he did. He defeated Goliath. They defeated the Philistines. They made up lost ground from the past generations. And in the same way, our God who loves us sent his son Jesus. Jesus is is called the son of David. He sits on the throne of David. And Jesus delivers us from the power of sin. By the same spirit that God gave David, spirit of courage, spirit of power to fight and clear the land, God has given us, the Holy Spirit, to do the same thing. The Holy Spirit is a gift. To all those who follow Jesus Christ. And the same spirit that empowered David to fight and win and clear the land, God has given to you. And you may say, well, I, I can't fight. It's just too big. It's like a sea I can't swim across. It's like a, sin is like a, a lion that's devouring me. It's, it's a giant that's too big to kill. But remember, our God is the God who parts the Red Sea. Our God is the God who closes the mouth of the lions. And our God is the God who slays the giants. He has done it for his faithful sons and daughters in the past, and he will do it for you. What we must do is we must trust him. We must obey him. We must confess our sins to him and those that are under our charge, maybe to our children and our wives. If we realize that we've made mistakes in the past, we haven't been living as God wants us, we want to have a fresh start to clear the land, then we just openly confess that. I haven't been parenting you the way I need to. I haven't been fathering you and mothering you the way I need to. I haven't been the husband or wife that I need to be, and I see that now. And I repent, ask for your forgiveness. And from this day forward, I'm going to fight to obey what God has called me to obey. That's a great example to your children. And that's a a thing that God can use. And you may think, well, I don't know what the sin is in my life. I don't know where the idols are or the the sin is. I don't don't know what you're talking about. How do I find them? That's a great question. And the answer is you need the word of God for that. And so in the book of James, we see, and James was the uh, pastor of a church in Jerusalem in the first century. He was the brother, half-brother of Jesus, and he wrote to that church, where you see jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be disorder and every vile practice. The way you know where to find those idols and those sins to clear out the land is you look for disorder and you look for evil practices, vile practices. Disorder, chaos, conflict, fear, these are all signals to you that there are rival gods at work. I'm not talking about a messy bedroom or a dirty garage or... You know, things are not going well because you got sick and things are falling apart. I'm not talking about that kind of disorder, right? I'm not talking about a minivan in a family with a bunch of little kids. What I'm talking about are clear patterns of repeated emotional, mental, or even bodily disorder. These could be and often are signs of spiritual disorder. This is how you know where to look. So if there's disorder in your relationships, disorder in your households, in your the way you use money, you know, you're always in debt, you never have enough money, it always seems like it's short, you can't honor God with his with tithes and offerings, you just it's all kind of out of order. Or in your time. You know, you sleep all night, you get up all day, or you sleep all day, you're 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 up all night, your 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 time is, is all misused, you just you always feel like you're you're rushing, you're late. There's just disorder there, right? Or in our bodies, right? Taking care of our bodies. All of these forms of disorder are a signal to us that there are idols to clear out and sin to put to death. And so look for patterns of disorder in your life or in your home or at work, in your mind or your body. The second thing we look for is evil practices. And this is just, when we look in the scriptures, when you read the Bible, very quickly you learn what God's designs are for everything. You learn what his patterns are that he wants us to live according to. You learn what his law says, which is right and wrong and just and unjust. And as you read through the Bible, God really quickly shows you what's evil and what's good. And then you look at your life and you can see the sin. But the problem is, today, many Christians have been deceived into thinking that God should not have authority over their dictionary. That they should be able to define words like sin, and righteousness, and justice. That they should be able to edit God's words. So that if the designs that God has, say for marriage or family, or for being a, a male or female, or for what it means to you know, be a good husband or wife, or how we are supposed to use our money, happiness... When when God's word defines these words differently than our culture, that we should take our cultural definition, and that, that's actually going to get us into trouble. We know what's evil, and we know what's out of bounds when we accept God's word as it is, which means he's the Lord of our dictionary. We use his words his way, and then we begin to see as he sees. And when we see the evil in our lives, we can put it to death. And then that means you and your children can enjoy the promises that God has made to you. God has made a tremendous amount of promises to bless you and your family, but many of them are conditional. And you have to clear the land. And you have to get rid of the idols and the sin. And so accepting God and his word and his authority over your life is the key to do that. That's how you find them. And when you find them, you've got to kill them. And the way that you kill them, the way you clear the land, is the way David did. You fight in the Lord's name. You fight with... God's word. And you fight with the weapons he provides. You fight in the Lord's name. You fight according to his word and you fight with the weapons he provides. That's how you clear the land. So let's look at them one at a time. You fight in the Lord's name. When you fight in the Lord's name, like David did, you fight for God, to honor God, to please God. It's not about you. It's about him. And you fight with God knowing that he's there. He's standing beside you. you. You are with him. He's the one who's actually doing the fighting. And you fight by God. You, you, in in faith, do what God calls you to do, never thinking that it's your power or your ability or your strength that is leading to the outcomes that you're receiving. It is for God, by God, and through God that we do these things. Like our father with us. It's like he's behind us. This big, tough, big dad. And there's this little six-year-old. And he's, he's going up against a bully. And the bully's looking at the six-year-old. He's like, oh no! But what's really happening is his father behind him is intimidating. And the little bully, I'm sorry, the little boy, he thinks that him and his actions are what's causing the terror and the bully. But that, that's not how it works. Our father's with us. He fights for us. He shows us what to do. He gives us victory. That's what it means to fight in the name of the Lord. And so when David went against Goliath, he didn't say, I'm fighting for Saul and I'm fighting for the army. No, I'm fighting for the living God so that everyone knows that our God is the God in Israel. You fight against me with your spears and your swords and your shields, and I'm coming against you with the living God. That's how he fought. And so in our life, what that means for us is we don't barter with God. We don't say, I'll obey you here so that I can, I can have this sin over there, or, or I'll give this up so I can keep having this. That's treating God like a genie. Instead, you start, the first move in clearing the land is to say, God, my whole life is yours. I'll do whatever you want. I'll go where you want. I'll be what you want. I'll say what you want. I'll give up what you want. I'll change what you want. I give you my whole life because I love you, because I, I remember your goodness to me. I'm grateful for the salvation that you've given me, that you sent your son to die for me. I believe that you are going to give me a better life than I can give myself. I see your promises and I want them. I don't hold anything back. That's the first step. That's a big move. But when you do that, then you can clear the land. The second move is that you have to fight according to the word of God. David knew what the word of God said. He knew what was wrong and what was right. And he knew that there were not supposed to be Philistines in the land. And he knew that he could defeat the giants. That God had told his father's father's fathers that they would defeat the giants. That God would drive these people out if they would be strong and courageous and if they would fight. God would go with them and give them victory. But these Israelites, standing before Goliath, they had forgotten that. And they didn't believe God's promises. But David knew God's promises. His words gave him courage. He believed what God said. And so he fought, and he won. And Goliath tried to change God's word. I don't know if you caught that, but Goliath said, if we win, you are our slaves. And if you win, we are your slaves. But That's not what God's word said. God's word said, not to take them as slaves. God's word said, wipe them out. You are to judge these nations, I've judged them, and it's time to wipe them out. And that's what David did. He didn't compromise, no half measures. What's interesting is that King Saul, just two chapters before this story that we read, he was ordered to go fight against the Amalekites and completely destroy them. And he got rid of their army, but he left their king, Agag, their king. And that's what we can do in our lives. We can fight sin, but only halfway. We can leave things untouched. We don't rip out the roots. We don't go all the way and put it all to death. We're not completely devoted to, to getting rid of these sins in our lives. And that's what we have to do. And so what we do is we read the Word of God, and we fight according to the Word of God. And we say, okay, Lord, this is what you say. You say, this is wrong. This is out of place. You don't like this? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on that and change that. And that brings us to our, our third thing, which is to fight with the weapons and the power that God provides. So you have your targets, because you have the Word of God, and you're willing to do it, just like David was, because you're fighting in the name of God. And finally, you fight with the weapons and the power of God. So now in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, chapter uh, 10 of of 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul writes that the weapons we have, that they're mighty before God, to overthrow and destroy strongholds. God gives us weapons. What weapons are those? The weapons that we fight with are our faith. Our worship. Our faith and our obedience. Our faith means we trust God and we obey God. We trust God, we obey God. That's faith. Our faith is our weapon. And the reason why is our faith puts us in a position for God to come through and fight for us. God is actually our weapon. He's our secret weapon. He's our shield and our sword. He's our deliverer. He's our rock. If God doesn't fight for us, we're not going to have any victory. You're not going to overcome the sins that are keeping you uh that, that that have enslaved you unless god fights for you and sets you free and so the way that we fight is we fight through our faith through our looking at what god says agreeing with it obeying it praying for it and doing it and so when you find a stronghold in your life in the land that you can uh, don't feel like you can destroy you can our weapons are faith and he's the one who fights for us okay he's our shield like i said so you, you say, God, there's a stronghold in my life of lust, right? Lust has got a hold of me in my life. There's a stronghold of fear. I really struggle with fear and anxiety. Uh, I, I love money and security, and I don't want to give it up. I'm not willing to rearrange anything that would threaten my income, threaten my 401k, threaten my property, threaten the, the pleasures that I enjoy in this life. I, I, don't want to, I love those things. I need those things, and I don't want to give those things up. And I realize those are idols. I realize that I'm not willing to make any changes, because I don't want to sacrifice what I'm really trusting in. Or maybe you just have plans. You know, you're a planner, and you have all these plans that you want, but you've not asked God, right? You've not submitted them to God, or you've not submitted them to the appropriate authorities that God has placed in your life. So you have all these plans, and then you read God's Word, and God begins to call you to do things, and you don't want to do it because it's messing with your plans. We're supposed to write our plans in pencil and submit them to God, and then he can write them in pen. These are just some examples of things that may be strongholds in your life. You really have to ask God to apply this teaching to your life. You should say, God, I'm hearing what Pastor Matt is saying. He didn't give me an exhaustive list of examples, but you can show me in my own life where there's evil practices, where there's idolatry. Would you do that? I want to know. And then read the Bible every day this week. And as you read, God will bring things to your attention. And then when he does, then you use the weapons he gives you. And like I said, that is your faith. And practically what that looks like is you pray. You say, pray, and obey. You say, pray, and obey. You say, God, I agree with you. I agree with you that lust has no place in my life. I agree with you that I shouldn't love money more than I love you. I agree with you that fear is not something that you want me to have, that you, you want me to put that to death, that you want me to be strong and courageous, that I can trust you. I agree with you that there's disorder in this area, and I don't want it anymore. That's the same, right? And then you pray, God, please help me. Change my heart. Give me strength. Fight for me. Would you please help me get victory over this area of my life? And then finally, you obey. God, what is it that I should be doing and stop doing? What, what are some things I should stop doing and what are some things I should start doing? Normally, when you have a sin in your life, let's say, for example, it's, know, it's some sort of addiction, uh, you can easily identify three things that you should stop doing and three things that you should start doing to overcome it. It's not hard to know what to do, but actually what's hard is wanting to do it. And that's the last thing I want to encourage you with. We fight with the weapons God gives us and his power. Now, all of you may have been in situations where you don't feel like you have the strength. You don't feel like you have the desire, right? You don't feel like you have the wisdom. I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't have the strength to do it. I don't really want to do it. That, all of us have been there. God is a God who can change your heart. He can give you desires. You can say, God, I, I, I don't want to give this thing up, but I know I have to. I know I should. Would you change my heart? And he will change your heart. He has done that for me. He will give you power. God, I'm exhausted. I just don't have any more energy to work on this. I just, I don't, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Would you just please give me strength because I'm about to go do what you're telling me to do and I don't have any more juice. I don't have any more gas in the tank. And God will He will give you strength. And He may say, I don't, this is, it's all not. I don't even know where to start. And God will give you wisdom because the same spirit, the same spirit that God gave to David and he's given to his people throughout history, that's the spirit he puts in every one of us who trust and follow Jesus. So, say, pray, and obey, and God will help you clear the land. Let's consider some next steps we might want to take to apply what God has taught us today. The first next step is you may realize that you need to enter into a relationship with God, that you want to be one of God's children, that you believe that he's good, and you want him to be the God of your life, and that you want to be his son and daughter. You want to receive his promises. You want him to help you clear the land. And the way you do that, the way you receive that forgiveness and adoption, is by accepting The offer God is making you through your faith in Jesus Christ. Decide to follow Christ for the first time. When you decide to follow Christ for the first time, you are adopted into God's family, and all the promises are available to you. Number two, you may have identified something that needs to be cleared out of your life this week. And with God's help, you're going to do it. Make a plan, go to war, and don't stop until it's all done. And number three, you may find that in your life, There are just things you need more specific help for. Each of our circumstances are different. Ask for help if you want to clear the land. Speak to a group leader or a team leader. These are the first line of care at our church to help you. Speak to a pastor or your parents or a spouse. One of the things you might want to do this last next step is ask a leader at church for help so that you can overcome disorder and sin that you see in your life. Together, with God's help, According to his word, by his power, he will make you able. He will make us able to clear the land of the sin and the idols that trip us up, so that we can enjoy the promises that God has to give. May God bless you. May God help you this week as you trust and obey him. Take care.